Welcome to Brit David Podcast, as Pastor Tim brings us a message from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, entitled, The Greatest Christmas Tree. Right after Thanksgiving, the Christmas tree lots fill up fast, hoping to be empty in just four weeks. Christmas trees are a seasonal staple for us. But did you ever stop to think that there might be more to that tree than a quick glance provides? There are Bible lessons we can learn that may help us appreciate this principal decoration. Here's Pastor Tim. Thank you, Kathy. Tonight we're going to begin a short series of messages on our Sunday nights about uh, some of the greatest things about Christmas. Christmas's greatest hits, maybe. Uh, we're going to talk tonight about the greatest Christmas tree. I want you to go ahead and get prepared. We're going to look at several places in your Bible tonight. The first landing spot is going to be 1 Peter chapter number 2. So if you want to go ahead and find that, I'd I'd let you go ahead and do that. And then maybe hold your finger there. And our next stop on our little tour is going to be Acts chapter 5. So if you want to go ahead and get ready for both of those, feel free to do that. There's some iconic trees around the world that people, uh, some flock to, some are just simply very familiar with. I guess probably the first one that comes to my mind is the one in New York City at Rockefeller Center. That particular tree uh, this year is an 82-foot-tall tree, sports more than 50,000 multicolored lights, and the center says that about 125 million people visit that tree every single year, and this year should be no different. I also think about the national Christmas tree, the one that's in Washington, D.C. This past Wednesday, the uh, National Park Service celebrated the 100th year of that national tree lighting ceremony. You're going to have to wait till next Sunday (laughs) to be able to watch it on TV. If you do, you're going to be one of about four and a half million people uh, who typically watch that, uh, that particular service. But this year's tree is 78 feet tall and has originally designed ornaments from every state. So every state had a contest that went through their elementary schools to design an ornament that reminded them of their state, reminded them of Georgia. When I look at Georgia, it doesn't remind me of Georgia at all, but uh, it does to some kid in some elementary school somewhere. And uh, anyway, it's just neat to, to know. I guess when you begin to think about iconic Christmas trees, you've got those kinds of trees on one end of the spectrum. You've got other trees that are just as remarkable, but on a very, very different end of that spectrum. If I mention this tree to you, it's not even real, um, but you're going to know it immediately as soon as I say what it is. You're already going to have a picture of it in your mind. It's Charlie Brown's Christmas tree. You already knew that's what I was going to say, didn't you? That pitiful little sapling, you know, can't even hold up that one little red ornament. But we all know exactly what it is, and people flock towards those things. Charles Schultz said that he made the tree like that as a protest against the commercialization of Christmas. And I'm with him on on that one. So it doesn't matter what kind of tree that you have, whether uh, you like tall trees or small trees, whether you like real trees or artificial trees, whether you like uh, um, big trees or, you know, like fat trees or those thin, thin little skinny trees, no matter what you like, 
homey trees or uh, elaborate kind of trees. To be able to say which one is the greatest is an argument that, you know, could just go on and on because it all has to do with what your particular flavor is. What I want to share with you tonight, what I believe is the greatest of all the trees. I think the greatest Christmas tree is the Calvary tree. And I want to show you what I mean by that tonight. So if you're there, 1 Peter chapter number 2, we just skip down to verse number 24. <clears throat> verse number 24 is actually the end of a sentence <clears throat> that began all the way back up in verse number 21. And in this, the, the, what Peter's talking about is Jesus being our great example for how we are to live and the fact that our motivation for living that kind of life is found in his death. And I want you to notice how Peter describes that there in verse number 24. Speaking of Jesus, he says, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. It may surprise you that Peter doesn't say cross and instead uses the word tree. Now, before you get the idea that Jesus was nailed to some <clears throat> still living, still planted in the ground kind of tree, you know, with all of its branches and all of its leaves and maybe not the traditional thing that you think of, I want you to see that it was not that kind of tree. Um, the word that is translated very often in your Bible as what we think of as, as a tree is the word dendron. You can hear that in some of the types of trees um, that, uh, that we have. But the word that Peter uses is the word zulon. It's a word that literally means wood. <clears throat> but it came to mean anything really that's made out of wood or anything that's consisting of wood. So when the Bible uses that word, sometimes it uses it and it means a tree, just like exactly what you think of as a tree. But, I mean, it fits because after all, a tree is made out of Wood, right? All right, so it does fit. By the way, that is the word that you find in the book of Revelation when it talks about the tree of life. It's not just a tree like we would think of, but this Zulon kind of tree. Remember when uh, Judas betrayed Jesus and there was a mob that was gathered there together. And Jesus says, why did you come at me with swords and with Zulon? Sometimes you may have the word club. That's probably sort of the bat-like weapon um, that, uh, that you think of. If you read from King James, you've got that word stave that's in there. <clears throat> These things simply are just made out of wood, and that's the way he uses it. It's used of Paul and Silas when they're in the stocks in the Philippian jail. If you recall, the Bible says that an earthquake came, and their shackles, their, their, their stocks were broken. It's the word zulon. That's used. It's used in Revelation. I mentioned to you about the tree of life, but it's also used to describe these wooden bowls and wooden utensils that will be used in that third temple that we talked about not too long ago. So when Paul, when Peter uses this word zulon here for tree in talking about the cross, I mean it fits because what's the cross made out of? It's made out of wood, right? Okay. So that's why he is where he is. And Peter likes to use that word. It seems like more than anybody else. You're in Acts chapter 5 also? I'm not. i got to get there. Hold on. <clears throat> where is Acts? Acts chapter number 5. So in this passage, Peter is preaching. He's preaching to the Sanhedrin. 
And as he begins his message with them, look, if you will, down to verse number 30. It's very early in the message uh, that Peter is preaching to them, and he says this. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. When we think about somebody hanging on a tree, we think more about someone hanging from a tree, not on a tree. He's not talking about a lynching. He's talking about crucifixion and Jesus being nailed to that cross. So five chapters later, go with me to chapter number 10. Still in Acts. Acts chapter number 10. Peter's preaching again. This time, not to the Sanhedrin, which are a group of Jews, right? He said, you murdered him. You, the Jewish people, it's your fault. That's where Peter begins to place the blame. He's not talking to a, Jew, a Jewish audience at all this time. This time he's talking to a Gentile audience. Chapter number 10, look if you will in verse number 39. There he says this, And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and Jerusalem, whom, here's, look at this, they, whom they killed by doing what? By hanging on a tree. The, the message that Peter has is consistent. He continually uses this word tree to describe the cross. Paul also uses that himself. All right, you're still in the book of Acts. Go over just three more chapters to chapter number 13. <clears throat> chapter number 13, you find Paul has picked up this same way of referring to the cross as a tree, as a zulon. He is preaching this time in a synagogue in Pisidian Antioch, which is going to be one of the launching places for the missionary movement that's to come. Look, if you will, down to verse number 29. Acts 13, 29. Now, when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. All right, one more stop I want you to make. This time, let's turn out of Acts, turn to the book of Galatians. Galatians, all the way through Romans, all the way through the Corinthians, and then you land on Galatians. I didn't even tell you what chapter that is, chapter 3. It kind of helps sometimes. Galatians chapter 3, look if you will in verse number 13. Paul's in the process of talking about a believer's relationship to the law. In fact, that's for the most part what the book of Galatians is about and how God has freed us from that. And here he writes clearly about Jesus' death. He says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law having become a curse for us. And then if your translation is like mine, he uses parentheses. And he says this, For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So if we can use the cross as a tree, then I would say the greatest Christmas tree is the Calvary tree. And there's a couple of things I want to share with you about that. Number one is this. There is symbolism in the Christmas tree. There's some people who just don't like to use them, do they? I mean, they just don't like Christmas trees. They come up with, a, <clears throat> with an idea that it has something to do with some pagan religion and they found something somewhere on the internet and, uh, and they just are not going to have a Christmas tree and they don't want to, to do that. And I want you to know that it's all about symbolism when it comes to the Christmas tree. For example, there is beauty in the Christmas tree. 
We don't stop to think usually that that tree that we're admiring is already dead. You know, it's, have, it's already been cut off from its source of life, and, uh, and it's, just, it's just hanging out there, you know. We think about happier things. We think of it in happier kind of terms. And even though those, they, there are trees that you will find that are outside and they're decorated and they're still alive, for the most part, we think about a Christmas tree, we think about one that's cut down and is brought inside the family house. It's a reminder to us that Christmas trees really are a sign of faith and a faith that has to be brought on the inside. It's not enough for faith to be left on the outside. It's something that has to come within. That's why Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock, you know, the door of your heart. Uh, If anybody opens the door, then I will come in to him. The Bible says, whoever receives Christ, to them he gives the right to become the children of God. So we think about those kinds of things when we think about a Christmas tree. As we've already taken note of, Christmas trees are made out of wood. just reminds us that the cross is also made out of wood, the cross upon which Jesus was hanged. People like Christmas trees in in different kind of varieties, don't they? Some people like firs, and then even within that group, you've got the Douglas fir people and the Fraser fir people and the balsam fir people, you know, and uh, in whatever range that you find those trees. But some still like pines or spruces or cypresses or, or cedars. But the truth is, no matter what kind of tree it is, you're really expecting a Christmas tree to be an evergreen tree, while every other tree has lost its leaves to the death of winter. Uh, The evergreens remind us of life and of eternal life, and it's supposed to remind us of that. Well, those leaves, those needles that are on those kinds of trees, uh, one of the things that they have in common is the longer you leave that tree up, the sharper and scratchier those needles become, don't they? Especially when you forget to water it, And, and they become, they just scratch at you and pinch at you. It's a reminder to us not only of the sharp crown of thorns that Jesus wore, but it's also of those sharpened nails that were driven into his hands and to his feet. Maybe you'll think a little bit differently about your tree when you reach in there and you get a little stick, you know. The Christmas trees typically are what shape? They're typically a triangle shape, right? The triangle shape is the, is the traditional symbol, the longtime symbol of the, of the trinity, And uh, even though there are some people who will hang their trees upside down because they don't want their pets or their kids in it, most people have enough sense to have their tree standing straight up just right. And that arrow created by that triangular tree points all the way straight up toward heaven. And that's exactly what it's designed to do. It's the symbolism that you find in there. Most Christmas trees are strung with some kind of lights, and whether you like the all-white lights or whether you like the multicolored lights or whether you like flashing lights or stationary lights, we're just reminded that Jesus is the light of the world, and he's the one that brings beauty into it. Also, those Christmas trees are decorated with some kind of balls or baubles or tinsel or homemade ornaments or meaningful ornaments like baby's first Christmas or uh, an ornament that has all your family's names written on it or it's, uh, it's an ornament that you bought on vacation that you want to be reminded of, <clears throat> things that mean something to you. It, is, it, it makes the decorations just as varied and personal as 
is every one of those trees. Everybody's tree will be different just because of the things that you like to have on display with those. It's a reminder to us that relationship that we have with Jesus is one that is personal. We're not, we're not robots as Christians. We don't, uh, we don't fall in line and all do the same thing and act the same, look the same, dress the same, talk the same, do the same. We are individuals that Jesus loves and has died for. Join us tomorrow as Pastor Tim continues his message from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Pastor Tim would love to connect and share with you about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how you can know that you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. That address is church office at BrittDavid.org. We are located at 2801 West Britt David Road, Columbus, Georgia, 31909. Thanks again for joining us here on Britt David Podcast.